Our scripture this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's mother, father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her up by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Awesome. Thank you, Cindy. Well, good morning, everybody. And I have to say it, go Niners. Uh, they're playing, of course, later today. I came early today, and I saw that a few more people than normal were wearing, wearing red. And I thought to myself, okay, that's because of the Niners game. But the first two or three people I saw that, I said, oh, hey, so you, you're going for the Niners today? Yeah, that's why I'm wearing this red jacket. Uh, whether you wore a red jacket on purpose or unintentionally, a couple of you guys wore actual jerseys, so there's no way we don't know that you're a true fan. Uh, but it should be a fun, fun game. Hope you guys are able to enjoy that. Um, I love the story that was just read. Just love it for any number of reasons, uh, not least of which is how Luke so masterfully just kind of interweaves all the dynamics that are going on. There's so much happening with this guy named Jairus and this, this gal with her condition and Jesus meeting them there. And, and I want to unpack all that and look at it. But I also love what this story does within its context. One of the beautiful things about working through uh, a portion of scripture, going through the book of Luke like we have been, is you get to see kind of broader themes come to a bear, come, come, come home. And I think that's what's happening in this text. Because if you look at it, if you go back to Luke chapter 8, you'll find that Jesus has been kind of teaching this lesson to the disciples, to us, through them, that he wants to really impart. And that's the lesson of, it's through adversity that growth comes. Okay? Often growth comes through adversity. And so a few weeks back, we saw object lesson number one out on the, the Sea of Galilee. We saw the adversity come through the squall there. And after Jesus calmed the wind and waves, uh, we saw him rebuke the disciples saying, where is your faith? So lesson one, we can know and trust Jesus as Lord over the storm. And then lesson number two, object lesson number two is on the other side of the lake, Jesus ran into the demoniac. And we talked about how we saw kind of the veil pulled back a little bit to see the effects of evil and spiritual darkness in our lives. 
If any of you are like, huh, what's that all about? If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to find that message online. We talked about that a little bit. And the lesson we, we drew was we can know and trust that Jesus is Lord of good over evil. Well, today it's like we take these lessons that we've been seeing that are just kind of in the clouds, if you will, in the skies. Jesus is Lord of the storm, Lord of good over evil. And he brings them down to earth. He brings them into our lives. Because I think what we can all see, if just a little bit, is a bit of ourselves in these people of Jairus and this woman as they encounter Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going we're to look at how Jesus meets us in hard times with these very down-to-earth, into-our-lives our lessons. Because I'll tell you what, and imagine you've been hearing the same thing, but I've been out there talking with different folks, different church leaders, different organizational leaders, and just random conversations. It really does seem like we li we're living in an uncanny time of how much hardship people are facing right now. There's just so many people facing hard times, and it's not all, at least directly, related to the pandemic. There are a lot of people facing health crises or having loved ones who are facing that. There are a lot of people wrestling in relationships, wrestling in their marriage. There's an uncanny amount of people just trying to figure out their career right now, working through uncertainties of future outlooks and all the rest of it. And here we see some very down-to-earth, meet us in our daily lives, lessons of how Jesus meets us in hard times. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in further. Father, we're so thankful for these lessons that you've been given us, how you have uh, the power over the sea, power over evil and spiritual darkness. Lord, we do really want to see and understand how you meet us in the midst of all of this. We need your spirit to do such things. Lord, we really do ask for your spirit to understand your word. I pray that you'd help me and my words really get out of the way and that you would shine through. Pray that the gospel would be lifted high, and that we'd all uh, receive it and draw strength from it, from, from your goodness. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so how does Jesus meet us in the hard times? First thought, low-hanging fruit, he wants to meet us in a deeply personal way. That has to be part of what's going on in this text. As you look at its themes, but the first way we kind of see this is just by understanding how Luke is really setting up the contrast between the people that we're going to be introduced here with the crowd. I mean, Luke really spends some time talking about the crowd. Look at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. This is pretty incredible. We've been seeing that the, over the last few weeks that Jesus was out in the middle of the lake and then out on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, only to now come back after an indefinite amount of time. We don't know how long he was out there, but it was a substantial amount of time in order for those events to have occurred. And yet, even still, this crowd was there waiting for him. And what's more, Luke goes on to say, they were all expecting him. Uh, scholars tell us that there was more behind just this, this, this phrase here. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan, uh, was uh, in an interview one time. He talked about how one of the hardest, actually the hardest part of a stand-up bit for comedians is the very beginning. Like you're introduced, you're brought out on the stage, and the expectation is that you are going to get people laughing right away. He's like, it feels like everybody's looking at you like a circus boy, start cranking out them jokes type deal. Well, this is what the crowd was looking at Jesus for, that he would start cranking out some miracles already that he would ooh them and awe them and, and show them something or entertain them. And in other words, it was a very impersonal affair for them, by and large. And then Luke goes on to tell us that this crowd was, was quite massive. It was actually getting ready to crush him, it says in verse 43. The Greek word here is also used in the word suffocation. Have you ever been in a crowd that feels suffocating? 
I was reminded this past week as I was thinking about this, of living in China and getting onto the subway system there. It's like, I don't know what it's like now in, in the pandemic days. There's probably a whole other protocols. I don't know. But it's like when you get onto the, the platform and into the, it's like you're sardines. And just when you thought there's about 10 people too, too, too many in the car, there are about a couple more come in and you're just like, <gasps> you're just like basically holding your breath for the next turn. And then when you get off and you take your transfer, you're just like, you know, hurting all the way through. Luke is showing, saying that this is a this is a suffocating crowd. This is like it was just coming around around them, and all these people were out there to see what Jesus was about. But through all of this, and if we could say, like, through all this noise, through all this distraction, if you will, we see Jesus' love, care, and compassion just pierce straight through it for these two individuals who approach him, who encounter him. The first individual is a man named Jairus. He's uh, described by Luke as a synagogue leader. That's just to say he kind of ran the religious services for a local synagogue there. Everybody would have known him. He came, fell down at Jesus' feet, pleading him to come help his daughter who was dying. Now, what's really incredible about this is Jesus just went. No question asked. Just, just went. That's incredible because up to this point in, in Luke, we've seen, Luke has identified for us that any and every just about religious authority was generally at odds with Jesus generally in opposition to him. While Luke tells us this guy was a synagogue leader, for Jesus, that wasn't of any concern. What was of concern was that this guy had a need. He was reaching out to Jesus, and Jesus was going to go meet that. The gal who we are next introduced to, is, a, is, a, is we're not given her name. She had been bleeding for 12 years. We're introduced to her as Jesus with Jairus on the way going towards his house to heal or at least encounter the, the Jairus' daughter. She'd been bleeding for for 12 years. I mean, you could imagine how hard that would have been back in that day and age, let alone in today, right? With the first century care that we can receive. I mean, this, just imagine this gal's heartache, just all the, the pressures and, and hardship that she must have been dealing with. Luke tells us that, quote, no one could heal her. Interesting fact, the other gospel writers uh, add a detail that she also spent all of her money on doctors, Luke, the physician, interestingly enough, did not mention that detail. And actually, scholars tell us that likely he did not, when he's usually the one who gives more detail than the other gospel writers, he did not in this case because he probably didn't want to, in any conceivable way, dog on his fellow doctors. So he leaves that detail out. Pretty interesting as you think about this in his early writing. He just says, he omits that, but the, the point is, she comes and she just figures, oh my goodness, I, I got to get to Jesus, even though he's packed in like sardines in this crowd, I got to get there, and she starts making her way over to Jesus as best she can, finally manages to get to him somehow, and then in doing that, she touches him and is healed in that moment. Uh, what's interesting here is Jesus, right then and there, as she begins to retreat and make her way out of there, uh, you know, slowly inching her way away, Jesus doesn't let it be at that. She, he stops everything. Remember, this is a whole big crowd there waiting to see what Jesus is doing. All they're about to see, all of them there to see what he's about, listening to every word, watching every action of him. Jesus stops everything, and now we got this party train just completely stopped, and he says, who just touched me? And it's as if the disciples are, are kind of vocalizing what we'd be thinking in that moment. Are you kidding, Jesus? Uh, who touched you? I mean, you got about five dudes around you right now. I mean, maybe one of them. Who touched you? We don't know. How, you, how could you say that? He, and Jesus persists. He says, someone touched me. I know that power has, has come out of me. Like I, There's been a healing moment that has just taken place. 
What's fascinating is uh, biblical scholars, the, the language scholars, say that the way that this is phrased in the original language seems to suggest that likely Jesus was looking at this woman as he said these words. So imagine this, the whole crowd just kind of packed in, and Jesus looking at this woman very likely saying, someone just touched me. And this woman in that moment realized that she couldn't get away, just kind of unseen, came back, trembling, we're told, which makes sense for a number of reasons. We'll get into a few more later, but on the, on, on the surface of it, just being kind of highlighted in front of everybody, right, came trembling, and we're told she, she told her story. And Mark very famously wrote in his account that she shared her whole story, okay? So she's just letting Jesus into everything, and Jesus listened. And then after she had finished, said these words, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, for Jesus to have called her daughter was kind of a big deal back then. I mean, you just, guys just didn't do that of just any woman, let alone a woman who was probably older than Jesus. And yet Jesus called her daughter. Being the son of God, he wanted her to understand with just great endearment and just tenderness that he knew her, knew all about her, and loved her fully. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. These interactions show at minimum that Jesus wants to meet with us in a deeply personal way. But the question is, do we want to meet with him in a personal way? Or let's think of it this way. For your part, do you tend to go to Jesus, whether you're Christian or not, do you tend to go to him as Jairus and this woman did? Or do you tend to go to him more like how the crowd went to him? Uh, it seems to me, if we're real about it, we more often than not tend to go to him like the crowd in a little bit more of an impersonal way, maybe kind of going through the motions. He's there. I go to church. I say the prayers or whatever it might be, but we don't really reach out to him. This man, Jairus, and this woman were really reaching out to Jesus. I mean, Jairus, for his part, fell at his feet, pled with him. This gal just vigilantly passed through the crowd, making her way. And then when Jesus called upon her, though she was nervous, she opened up. She let him in. I think if we're real about it, we tend to, even if we've been following Jesus for many years, by the way, we tend to go to him more like the crowd, not really reaching out to him all that, all that much. But Jesus wants to show us that he, he wants to meet with us. He wants to meet with us, especially in the hard times, in a deeply personal way. I'll tell you, this is something that's, uh, I've had to learn and relearn multiple times, probably continue to uh, in my life. A few years back, I was going through some especially hard times. They had been going on for a few years. And actually, I very much uh, relate with how this gal had spent uh, so much of her money on doctors, or at least looking to get care. And I think that's really kind of emblematic of like what our society is about. As a society, we tend to try to fix things on our own. And hey, that's not to say that's all bad, but I realized at one point, all of my thought and care after two years, emotional energy, all the rest of it, had just been going to try to figure this out just as best as I could. And while I'd kind of been praying about it along the way, I hadn't really been. And there was just this moment where maybe even the Holy Spirit was talking to me and saying, you know, I just need to slow down and actually really reach out to the Lord. And by the way, that didn't necessarily come from external like motions. It was just, it was more of a heart posture thing for me of realizing, no, I didn't really need to, of all the things that were important in this whole journey, trying to figure out a diagnosis and getting care. No, the most important thing is I needed to be reaching out to Jesus. And I felt like in that moment, like he just started to help me realize that the most important thing was his personal touch. And that's what Jesus really wants to show us is that he wants to meet with us in a deeply personal way. But the question becomes, do we want to meet with him? 
That's the, the first thought. The second thought in hard times is Jesus wants to meet with us, but not according to our schedules. <laughs> that has to be here in this text, right, in, in a number of ways. Jesus stops the crowd, which could you only imagine, by the way, if you were Jairus? Jesus stopped the crowd. We already talked about how the disciples became incredulous. Like, seriously, though, Jesus? Like, anybody could be touching you right now. Could you just imagine if you were Jairus? Like, wait a minute. Who cares who touched you, Jesus? My daughter, you remember? And remember, the first verse there is not that, that when he came and pled for his daughter, it doesn't say that she might be dying. It says that she was dying. But Jesus persists. No, someone touched me. And it's like, man, imagine if you were Jairus in that moment. Like, really, Jesus? Out of respect and honor in that society, he didn't bring anything to light. He just let things play out. And then the woman come, came forward, and then the woman told her entire story and all, all the rest of it. My brother is a surgeon, and he used to do some rounds in the emergency room. Oh, my goodness. For those of you who are in the medical profession, especially in light of the choices you had to make in your care uh, in, the, in the worst of the pandemic, we just have nothing but love and respect for you. We love you as a church. We want to be here to support you as you care for us and so many others. We love you guys. One of the things that's incredible about care practitioners in, in moments of emergency and that sort of thing, especially when, when unfortunately like two or more people come at the same time, is they have to make a judgment call in terms of priority of care. Who gets what care when? And one of the things they'll tell you, I mean, it's quite straightforward, is that the people with the acute problem need to get the care first, not the people with the chronic problem. Right? Acute care are people, acute problems are people who are like, you know, having trouble right now and there's an urgency to it. The chronic problems are those that have been happening over months, maybe even years of time. And yet, you know, maybe a few more uh, minutes or hours or days, you, you might be able to continue to kind of deal with it as you need to. But here, Jesus, even though Jairus' daughter is over there with the acute problem, stops and focuses on the gal with the chronic problem. Then, as if it were worse for Jairus, what he feared most happens. A messenger comes and says, don't bother the teacher anymore. Uh, your daughter has, has passed away. She didn't make it. I mean, we could only imagine what Jairus must have been thinking and feeling towards Jesus in that moment. But it's in that moment that Jesus looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid. I imagine he had a smile on his face. He said, essentially, trust me. Whatever it might seem like, don't be afraid. Trust me. Put differently, Jairus had to have been thinking and feeling all throughout this whole episode, Jesus, you got to hurry. Hurry it up. Jesus, I need you to hurry. My daughter, I need you to hurry. But in this moment, Jesus is saying, I won't be hurried. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Don't be afraid. Trust me. What we learn is God's blessing or grace almost never seemed to operate according to our schedule according to our sense of time. Just think about it from the gal's perspective, the woman who had been suffering for 12 years. Have you ever suffered with something for 12 years? I mentioned earlier that I had this, these hard times. It was medical related. I was in, in it for like two to three years, not as bad as what she had. And yet after two or three years, I was getting ready to lose it emotionally, like just, I mean, mentally. It's just a long, arduous process to figure things out. This gal had been at it for 12 years. God's blessing and grace almost never seem to operate according to our schedule or sense of time. I had someone recently, a Christian friend, tell me that they've been reading through the Old Testament, and they came across Moses' account, and Moses' account is famous for his having to wait about 40 years for God to show up 
and kind of equip him and kind of move in his life. 40 years. And my buddy was saying, yeah, I kind of knew that, but I realized from, from the personal standpoint, I'd never really wrestled with that on my own. Because for me, I start to get upset with God after a couple of weeks, <laughs> let alone a couple of days. I believe what Jesus is doing here in this text, as he looks to Jairus and essentially says, trust me, is he's in a way looking over Jairus to us down the ages. And he's saying, remember the lessons. Remember what we've talked about in Luke chapter 8, where I am going to be with you and my, my grace and love are compatible with you through hard times, including, by the way, through storms, even though you don't think so. Here I'm telling you, he's saying, my grace, my love is compatible with you, for you, even when there's some unconscionable delays. I'm there for you. You can't hurry Jesus. And you know, it's not, by the way, uh, I, uh, you can't hurry me, but I love you. It's rather, you can't hurry me because I love you. So I'm working this out. You got to trust me. And he insists, one, one writer said, it's essentially as if Jesus is saying, if you insist on imposing your absolutely, objectively, universally right and true understanding of schedule and timing on me, you will never feel loved by me and will largely be your fault. Now, okay, major objection. How could Jesus' delay here be for the best? Well, that brings us to our last and final thought. In hard times, Jesus often has something far, far greater for us than we thought we needed. In hard times, Jesus often has things far, far greater for us than we think we need for ourselves. Because in the instances of both Jairus and the woman, they left with so much more than they sought Jesus out for. And actually, if you look at it, it was precisely because of Jesus' timing that they each got it. So for instance, consider the woman. What did she really want? She kind of wanted Jesus, but she was pressing through in the crowd. She was reaching out in that way, but really what was she reaching out for? She was reaching out to kind of do a touch and go, right? If I could just touch him and get, get the healing, then I can get out of here. That was kind of her approach. But then Jesus forced her to go public. What was going on there? Well, it's helpful to understand that in those days, a person with a bleeding condition such as hers would have been known as ceremonially unclean. In fact, back then, people would have figured she was cursed. That's kind of how people thought of people with chronic illness back then. They were, they were cursed. This woman was ceremonially unclean. For her to touch someone, let alone a rabbi, in public was kind of a big deal. And so therefore, in Jesus bringing her out into the public light uh, was a scary thing, but he insisted upon it. Why? Because she needed it. She really needed it. She, she needed something far more than she realized she needed. What was going on? Well, she was coming to Jesus with essentially a quasi-superstitious understanding of Jesus' power. If I could just touch him, then I'll be healed. But Jesus' whole point with her was to say, no, 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 it's not that. It's not the superstition. It's faith in me. And so to her and essentially to us as well, he was saying, don't just come to me with your needs. I care about your needs. Come to me with your needs, but don't just come to me with your needs. Come to me for the life-transforming relationship with me. That's what you should be coming for, which was far, far greater for her than she thought she needed. And then consider Jairus. Jairus essentially came to Jesus thinking he needed a cure for a fever, but he went away with a resurrection. Look at verse 50. We pick up where Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. When the messenger came and said, Jairus, your daughter has passed away, don't 
don't bother to teach her anymore. Don't be afraid. Just believe she will be healed. So they walked over to Jairus' house, and there were people outside mourning and, and wailing. Uh, some of you have been around uh, for a while. You probably know that there were professional mourners back then that people hired as early as possible. Uh, they just figured that was a way to honor the passing. So they would just hire professional mourners to come out there. So these guys were kind of doing their thing, out there wailing, out there making a big deal of it. And Jesus just rebukes them saying, stop wailing. <laughs> you could just imagine a pin dropping in that moment, just how awkward that must have been. Stop wailing. Takes a few of, uh, they laugh at him, by the way, but he takes a few of the people up into the room with him and and uh, together with Jairus' wife, he takes the girl's hand in his and utters the word in Aramaic, Talitha kum. Uh, in our translation, it says, my child, get up. But Talitha kum are some very powerful and wonderful words. Talitha uh, literally does mean uh, little girl. But the way it was used back then was kind of as a, like in a uh, diminutive pet sort of way. Like in English, it would be kind of like us calling somebody like, you know, sweetie or honey. Uh, and then kum means, <laughs> kum means arise, be resurrected. No, it just means get up. But more colloquially, how it was used back in that day and age, it was actually more used, hey, it's time to get up. Like, get up. And so essentially, he was taking this girl's hand and saying, sweetheart, get up, little girl. Time to get up. And she does. Uh, this teaches us at least two things. First, it teaches us, of course, Jesus' power. Jesus got to see not only his little girl, uh, excuse me, his, his girl come back to, to life, but he got to see a foretaste of what Jesus ultimately came to do, and that is defeat the greatest enemy, the enemy of death. The disciples out on the lake, they got to see him calm the storm. That's pretty cool. It seems like that couldn't be beat. But then he goes out to the other side of the lake, and there deals with the demoniac, this army of demons, and there kind of sets things straight. It's like, that's kind of cool. Man, it can't get any crazier than that. But here in the, in the room with just a few folks, Jesus takes this little girl's hand in his, and with just a few tender words, Salitha Kum defeats the greatest enemy that any of us can and ever will face. Just gently, tenderly, that's his power. And then secondly, it teaches us, of course, his love. Here we see the ultimate parent. The other day, uh, we were out on a walk and, uh, with our kids, and I was just walking along, and all of a sudden felt a little, like, kind of tug on my hand. And I, kind of, I was getting ready to kind of do a pull away, but then I realized, wait a minute, is that my oldest hold, reaching out to hold my hand? I didn't think that still happened. So I'm like, oh, this is nice. I'm going to hold his hand, you know, because, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen too much longer. In fact, I think Cindy did an Instagram post recently kind of on, on a similar vein. We, just trying to savor those moments as we get them. He just kind of held out my hand. And you know what we do as little kids or what little kids do with us when they reach out their hand? Ultimately, they're just looking for security, right? There's nothing like holding your parents' hand when you're just a little one to just know that everything's safe in the world, everything about life, you're secure, uh, except... The only problem with that is that's not true, right? I mean, not only are there bad parents out there, there's also a lot of wonderful parents who are imperfect. Even wonderful parents are imperfect, making wrong decisions, making wrong choices, and, and all the rest of it. But not here. This is the ultimate parent who took this little girl's hand in his, who takes your hands, your hand in his, and will walk with you through the darkest night. So what we see then is the Lord of the universe the Lord of the, of the seas and the winds and the waves, he has the power of, of good and evil. That's the one who takes us by the hand and says, sweetheart, little one, it's time to get up. 
question we have to have is, why would we ever rush somebody like that? Why would we ever hurry somebody like that? Somebody who has that much power and yet holds us so tenderly in his loving embrace. Why would we ever hurry somebody like that? Jairus got to begin a personal relationship with the one who not only took his daughter's hand into his and brought her back to life, he got to start a personal relationship with the one who, in order to defeat death, went to the cross and, and purposely let go of his grip to his perfectly heavenly father to go through darkness for him and for all of us. And then this woman got to begin a personal relationship with the one who not only healed her of her bleeding, but went on the cross to become made unclean that she, that we, would be made clean. Uh, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's this same Jesus who we follow, who we can reach out today. The same Jesus who says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. It's the same Jesus who says, today, don't be afraid, just believe. It's the same Jesus who says, Talitha kum. It's the same Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and mine to know that we can trust him, even in the midst of hard times. There's this little detail we actually kind of skipped over there. The professional mourners were out there, and he said, stop wailing. He said, she's not, uh, she's not dead. She's only asleep. And actually, I'll spare you all the time, but like a lot of scholars break that down. Some, some people will say, well, that just goes to show that this wasn't a miracle. Jesus was just resuscitating this girl who was only asleep. But there's a lot of problems, even from our narrative about that. I mean, the professional mourners would have probably had a good idea who was dead or not, right? And then Luke, the physician, gives us the detail that when she does come back, it says her spirit returned to her. Okay, that thought aside, but Jesus still says she's not dead, she's asleep. And those are wonderful, wonderful words. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, because of what he did on the cross for us in defeating death, when we finally come to rest, it's going to only be like falling asleep. And I almost wonder if the very first words we're going to hear when we wake up into the next life are, my child, get up. This is the one who is with us in hard times. He's Lord over the seas, the winds, the waves. He's Lord over, over evil and spiritual darkness. And he reaches out his hands to take yours and, and, and both of his and say, child, I've got you. You can get up. So we've come now to the close of not only the story, but really of this series. And, you know, in this series of these encounters with Jesus, in all of these occasions, the issue is never, if you've been here with us, the issue has never been, would Jesus show up? Could Jesus show up? That's never the issue in any of these stories with the raging sea, the demoniac, the 12 years of bleeding, the dying girl. It was never could Jesus, would Jesus. The matter was always would they trust him? Of course, the question for us today is would we, will we trust him? The reality is hard times are a constant in this life. Um, this side of heaven, hard times are a constant. But you know what also is a constant in this life? God's power and his love for you and for me. What is only up for grabs, the only non-constant there is whether or not we will trust him. Will you trust him? Can you put your faith in him? Can you not be afraid and, and just believe he is one who can always be trusted, even as he takes his hands in ours and, and says and carries us through? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful stories. These stories that really come to bear on our, on our hearts. And I, I just want to pray for those hearing these words right now, maybe facing some, some scary 
circumstances, that you would especially draw them near to you. I, I, I so love that in each and every one of these stories, there, there are lessons of how we can reach out to you, how we ought to be reaching out to you, and how we ought to be having faith, and how, and how we can just meet you where you're wanting to meet us. And yet in the midst of all of that, there's also this theme of grace, because none of these people, including the people we looked at today, had it completely worked out. And yet you graciously met them in their lack of faith, in their imperfect faith. And so I want to pray for those especially feeling right now. Would you help them feel your loving embrace? Would you help them understand that you're with them, even when, even when they might not think it so? And Father, for those here who have never received you, I pray that today would be the day that they put their faith in you, receive you. Because infinitely greater than being healed or delivered from hard circumstances to begin a personal relationship with the one who defeated death on the cross, offering forgiveness of sins if we would put our faith in him. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.